In a complex world brimming with new ambitions, the best leaders create the best workplaces. This is the Oil & Gas Digital Doers podcast, where you can hear real stories about digital capabilities and a culture of empowerment with your host, Joanne Meyer. Welcome to the Oil & Gas Global Network's Digital Doers podcast. And I'm your host, just like the, the guy said, Joanne Meyer. And um, really happy that you've joined us today. Really grateful that you clicked all the right buttons on whatever device you're on so you could join in on this conversation today. I'm talking to someone today that, um, I don't know when you might be listening to this, but we are, we are recording this right in the middle of football season, big football season. And um, I think uh, the gentleman I'm talking with today is sitting in the location of like the biggest game this weekend. Um, and he actually may be a grad of uh, like the, the, the school that's uh, trying to take down the big dog. Is that right, Jason? That, that, is, that is right. Where, uh, you know, anytime you face Saban and the, the, the Tide, it's a big game. And for LSU, yeah. it's certainly a big game. Yeah, I think, is that right? You are uh, an alumna of, of uh, LSU? I am. I am. Well, I'm not LSU. Uh, I, I live in Baton Rouge. I wasn't here for a while, but moved back, and, and we support our Tigers. Yeah, so it'll be a hopping place in Baton Rouge because I think the Tide's coming over to see the Tigers, yeah? That's right. Yeah, they, they are. The whole city is in uproar. I, I think every, every shop you go into, every restaurant, that's all they're talking about. And uh, yeah, I, we're going to have that stadium packed. It should be uh, quite the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so we're going to talk about some really you know technical stuff here in business. But I thought I'd get that out of the way. So I know it's a it's an exciting place to be there in Baton Rouge. Um, it is, and I may end up bringing it back up again, Joanne, because I'm pretty excited about it. So it, it might it might find its way into this podcast more more than not. Well, good. Then I'm glad I opened the door for you, so you can know that we we talk about all kinds of things here. So. Uh, so we're going to learn a little bit more about Jason in just a second. But before we get too far into this, I do want to um, say again that this is the Oil & Gas Global Network, and this is the largest community of podcasts for the oil and gas industry in the world. Um, I think we just made an announcement maybe a couple of weeks ago that we now have listeners in every country in the world. I think Lithuania was the last one, and, and they came on board. And uh, this is not just for the Digital Doers podcast, although I'm hoping that we have listeners from all over the world, and indeed know that we do. But this is for all of the podcasts on the Oil & Gas Global Network, OGGN as we refer to it. Um, and there's about, I don't know, 13, 14, 15, 16, they're there a little bit, but uh, some really great other podcasts. So I'm hoping you'll check those out as well. But we're really glad that you're with us here today on the Digital Doers podcast. And the other thing, of course, I would, would not want to start off a podcast without saying thank you to our sponsor, HPE. And, you know, HPE, they have a, a dedicated team of experienced folks that are just focused on solutions for the oil and gas uh, community. So um, check out those guys, maybe have a conversation with those girls and guys. And, and uh, if, if you don't do that, go to hpe.com and check out their website. Um, you're gonna read, there's a, a, a platform they're talking a lot about these days is their GreenLake platform. 
and they call it their edge to cloud platform. Um, and it's all about making sure that you can have that um, easy to use, uh, highly functional uh, cloud experience on premise. Um, and so uh, go check that out. It's called GreenLake um, and it is the cloud that comes to you. Um, and so with that, I think now let me say a little bit about Jason, other uh, than the fact that um, um, he is a tiger uh, from Baton Rouge, LSU. Um, Jason is the president and COO of SparkHound. Um, he has over 23 years of experience uh, in executive leadership, process improving, improvement, uh, customer success, operations, consulting. Um, he's only been with SparkHound about five years or so, but uh, he's uh, had a pretty, uh, a pretty impressive rise, I think, there. Um, in 2021, he became president of SparkHound um, and now, of course, leads all areas of their business. And before that, he was with companies and served as the chief operating officer at Invoke. Um, he was also with um, executive, held executive positions at IBM Global Services, APRO Equifax, and Trace Security. Um, and so we are really happy to have Jason with us today. And we're going to talk a little bit, of, uh, kind of broadly, about some of the digital uh, solutions and uh, successes that they've helped their clients have. So welcome, Jason. Well, thank you. And thank you for having me, Joanne. It's a pleasure. I've, I've listened to a number of your podcasts as we spoke before this. Uh, the group you had in uh, on, your, on your last one, the two Davids from KnowledgeBind are friends of mine and, and, and great uh, folks. So excited to be here. You know, big shoes to fill. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get trying to get all my Louisiana folks kind of here together. <laughs> that's, that's not true. Uh, but, but really, really that could, the way that turned out, I've had uh, two folks, two groups from Baton Rouge and recently, and I don't think I said Jason's name and that's because I'm a little intimidated, but I'm going to try. Um, it's Jason Lassane. Is that correct? You, you, you nailed it. And, and you're one of the few that do, I can tell you that I've been called just about every name and, uh, sometimes related to my last name, sometimes not, but, um, you know, nickname in, in college was lasagna because my last name, if you, if you look at it, it kind of looks like lasagna. Yes. So that, could, that, yeah. Yeah. As opposed to the, to the good, good French pronunciation, I think a little bit of a, so anyway, so Jason, is there anything I missed? Anything else you'd like to tell us about kind of your experience and how you made your way to SparkHound or the oil and gas industry? Uh, sure. Um, you know, I don't want to speak too much about myself, but but yeah, I started with having Global Services and, and got the chance to kind of travel the world with those guys. Uh, it, it's gets old being on a plane that much, but it was great experience getting to see different industries, uh, oil and gas included, and, and how uh, there's commonality in uh, digital transformation across all of those. Um, I started my career technical uh, as an app developer and quickly determined that I wasn't that good at it. Uh, and, and I was much better at understanding business and strategy and improving processes. So I kind of worked my way through my career doing doing that sort of thing. But I would okay. say that's the only thing I, that I would add. It's It's been a fun ride. I, I mean, I'm definitely enjoying uh, being here at SparkHound. It's, it's a fantastic organization. And so tell me a little bit. Um, so SparkHound... Um, you're kind of regional or tell, tell me a little bit about where, where are your clients? 
Sure, a- absolutely. So, you know, we were founded about 25 years ago. Sean Usher founded the organization. Uh, he's, he's still our CEO, founder, and, and my boss. Um, and uh, started in Baton Rouge small. I mean, it was a it was shoestring, $2,000 out of garage type of deal. And now we have over 200 employees. We have offices in Houston, in Dallas, Baton Rouge, and Birmingham. But, you know, with the onset of COVID, the lockdowns, the pandemics, our workforce was primarily in those regions. And now um, we have over over 20% of our workforce is, is across the, the country, if we're from California uh, to Florida. Um, oh, wow. And our client bases as well. Okay. I didn't realize that. I, I, I think I thought you guys were kind of a southeastern part of the United States, but uh, but clearly you've grown. We, we, we have, you know, so by necessity, right? When, when those things, when everybody had to learn to work remote, uh, it opened up the door for us to, uh, to, to do some work with organizations we might not have gotten access to before. So um, blessing and a curse, right? There was some negative that came along with it, but the ability to expand and, and get employees that, uh, you know, have different backgrounds and from different areas of the country has been, been real nice. And we, uh, I think we've done a pretty elegant job of, of collaborating and communicating, you know, kind of across the country. Great. Great. And so, so tell us, um, what industries, uh, sounds like you've got clients everywhere. Do you focus on one industry or or more than one? I, I know yeah. you do. No, yeah. great, great question. And, you know, it's historically our clients, you know, our clients have kind of followed what regions we have been. Again, that's changed over the last two years, but it really was very region dependent. So, for example, um, our clients out of Houston were primarily oil and gas clients, right? Because Houston has a huge oil and gas base and our sellers there focused on that. If you look at our Birmingham, a lot of finance, uh, a lot of manufacturing, uh, Dallas, a lot of retail, a lot of healthcare, and Baton Rouge, a lot of healthcare, a lot of petrochem in um, education space. Uh, so, you know, we're all one company though. Those are just kind of places where people sit. Um, so when you look at it, we're fairly industry agnostic, but those are the ones we see ourselves playing the most in. Um, and, and like I said, it's, you really need to have some subject matter expertise in each of those when you start to get strategic. But when you get down into the technology, we find that's less important. And so it, it you know, both sides there. Yeah. So, so tell me a little bit, um, because you've, you're talking about, um, when you talk, when I when I hear kind of the strategic kind of conversations, um, you know uh, that 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 speaks to me a little bit about saying um, you actually help your customers kind of try to figure out what they want or what they need uh, before you sell them something shiny. Yeah, that's that's exactly it, Joanne. And and so I guess you know if I were going to give the the elevator pitch on on what it is we do generally it would go a, a little like this we have three business units right um, one is kind of ancillary to the other two and that's it's a contact center so we stand up contact centers or, or call centers uh, for things like disaster recovery programs or, or hospitals and, and universities and it's everything that comes along with that hiring the, the call reps, setting up the technology, answering the calls, providing good service, um, all of those things. Um, it's it's spawned out of helping Louisiana 15 years ago with Hurricane Katrina and, and other things, and it's just kind of grown. Um, so that's, and again, it's kind of a side piece. The other two business units are our core. 
Um, one is managed infrastructure, and that is working with IT professionals, so IT directors, CTOs, um, to help them modernize their IT infrastructure. So helping them go from on-prem to cloud, what that should look like, how best to optimize that, helping them with security of their network. That's a big thing. Everybody's clearly been worried about security, still worried about security. Doing things as simple as um, modernize their active directory network and things like that. Um, and then and then the ultimate goal is to do managed services for them where we would take over the monitoring of their security, of their patching, of their systems for them so their IT people can go off and do bigger and better things. So that's, that's a middle group. And then the last one is the one basically you referred to. And in that, we work with business owners. And by business owners, I mean the people running the business, the CEOs, COOs, CMOs, um, all the people in operations. And, and when we talk strategy, we really want to understand what they want to accomplish over the next year, six months, three years, right? They all have business needs. Sometimes they need to get quicker to cash. Sometimes they have supply chain issues. Whatever that business problem is, we really get down to the details of those and understand the processes that make up that need. And then we help improve those processes, usually through some form of technology. So we'll create a, a mobile application to uh, remove you know, uh, manual entry from the field. We will turn a spreadsheet into a web application. We'll use RPA to automate a process. We'll take data and analytics and visualize it or clean it up. Um, so technology in the end, but the, the, the technology is used to get to an end means of solving a business problem. Right. Yeah. Uh, good, good way of looking at it. <laughs> uh, and so it sounds like you may be, you, the pull for SparkHound can come from various places. It might come from the IT organization uh, where then you can kind of, you're helping them with their um, managing their infrastructure or managed services, but you also might be getting a pull from the business when yeah. folks are bumping up against a challenge or barrier or obstacle or something. You got it. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and that's the way we like, like to look at it. You know, they both have a, have a place, right? Sometimes it is just, you know, you need a, you need a technology solution and we help provide that. But in many cases, it's, it's really working with an organization to understand what's bothering them every day. Why are they losing money here? Why are they slow to the market here? And then helping them figure out how to get better on those things. Um, you said you when you set up the contact centers, um, are those I was trying to because you did say you've you've done that in, uh, to kind of help with uh, like emergency response mm -hmm. um, after you know bad things happen. But do you do you also are some of them like uh, I have you know I call a call center for my bank or I call a call center for my you know when my Apple uh, device stops or something. Yes. Yes. So it's a great question. So the contact center side is usually not IT focused. So when you say you call your bank, that's a prime example of where we would use a contact center. So maybe we're taking loan applications or things of that nature, the front end things where you don't necessarily need a full subject matter expert to do it. Right. Okay. Um, All right. The on the managed infrastructure side, part of managed services is tier one, tier two, 24 seven help desk. 
So for example, uh, we've had oil and gas, uh, actually, uh, oil and gas companies where we are their IT help desk. So they have so many people in the field, they call in, they can't get the pad to work, they can't get a certain application to work. And when they think they're talking to their company, they're really not. They're talking to us in our IT help desk and we help them log in, change passwords, fix an issue, those sort of things. Wow. So that's cool. That's, that's really interesting. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to ask maybe a silly question, but when you talk about a call center, um, mm -hmm. I'm thinking that may no longer be a big building with a bunch of people sitting around the desks <laughs> in a big open space. No, you're absolutely right. It's changed so much over the last few years. Uh, yeah. Some of it's been pushed by our environment, but other by technology and in, in, in need. And so, yeah, it used to be a whole bunch of people sitting in a very, very big building. Uh, yeah. That has definitely changed. Also, the terminology's changed, right? I, you know, I refer to it as contact center, and then a few minutes later, I say call center. Call center is the old way of saying it because that was the only channel to get them was call. Now we have omni-channel, which is, you know, a contact center. You can text them. You can email them. You can get on a chat with them. You, they're, they're, they're a number of the portal. Um, you don't have to just call. And, and so we handle all those channels, which is why we now call a contact center. But the people working those contact centers are not in a big building anymore. They are sitting at home at their kitchen table or coffee table. They log in. Uh, they have all the, the network and infrastructure they need and hardware they need uh, to provide great customer service. They're monitored both through AI and monitored through, through human resources. Yeah. Um, to, to make sure that the calls are going well, we provide good customer service. So it's the landscape has absolutely changed. You're right, Joanne. But I like that um, that nuance on the words. And until you described it, I didn't catch it. I wrote it down as both a contact center and a call center uh, because the call center right gets me to where I understand. But I understand uh, the way you describe. It. And you're right. You know, we we don't want to have to pick up the phone and call all the times. I like it when I can chat with someone or, you know, uh, send a quick email. So that's a, so the, the terminology, that's a nice, uh, a nice differentiation, I think. It, it is. And I'll tell you what, you know, it just, what you said makes me, it always, it always kind of makes me think how different we all are, right? Because I'm the same way as you. I would much rather send an email or go to a chat and get it knocked out. But we have clients for which um, all we do for them via phone is reset passwords. And I'm not talking about a couple passwords a day. I'm talking 800 to 1,000 resets a month. And it's not like they don't have the ability, the user don't have the ability to do this online or through a portal, but they don't want to. So for these, for these customers, they'd rather talk to a person. So all we do for them is pick up the phone and reset passwords. And wow. it's because of the human nature of this group of people that, that simply want to talk to someone. Yeah, that's interesting and a, and a really good point. Uh, because, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a little bit uh, fluid on that because there are many times, you know, if it's a little simple something, it's a changing a password, um, you know, uh, a little chat box. I love that. And, and I use it. Uh, I, I have an American Express card and I've had it forever. And I will tell you, I can get a lot done chatting with uh, <laughs> right. times, you know, with, with certain situations. I just I want to talk to somebody. Um, and uh, I think it's probably important for people in your line of work um, to constantly be recognizing that, that people are different in the way they want to get help. 
it it, it is. It's, it's. I was talking to the president of a a, a local credit union yesterday about uh, some some uh, robotic process automation, um, but somehow we got into call center and customer support. You know, it always comes down to customer support. Your your internal customers or your external customers, they all need to be happy, right? And we were talking a little bit about call centers and he says, do you know we have a subset of our population, our members, they're usually older, that call and they check their balance every day. And the balances do not change. So they're on things that their balance is not on like a bank, but, but on a note that do not change. But yet every day they call, and it's not one or two, it's, it's more than one or two people. And what we've learned is they call because they're lonely. They just want to talk to somebody. Yeah. Wow. And so we have to train empathy and train our, our, our reps to make sure they understand, you know, yeah. they might be calling for a balance, but what they really want to do is have a conversation with you. And we want to do that because we want to provide a good experience, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, good for you. And I, you know, I, we, as hard as we can try to automate and, you know, roboticize and uh, digitize. Um, we are people, yeah. <laughs> and and we, you know, not not losing, um, you know, not losing that that perspective. I think is is pretty important. So good for you guys. Um, so tell us. So tell me a little bit. Um, you you mentioned RPA, robotic process automation. Um, that's become big. Yes. No. Lots of people use that now. I mean, it, I, I can remember when it was kind of first gaining some traction and it was a big deal. But tell me about that. Is that commonly? Yeah, it, it really is. And, and, and we, we, I mean, almost weekly, we have a prospect or a client that comes to us talking about how they can use it more in their, their organizations, right? And, and for those that don't know, basically, it's automating manual clicks. So if you have something that's fairly standard, let's say you are approving invoices, your, your invoices come in uh, in AP and you need to approve them. And, and the, it's the same 20 mouse clicks every single time you do it, or let's not say every single time, 60% of the time you do it, same 20 mouse clicks, right? Well, with, with RPA, you can automate that. So a human, there's no human intervention to do it. And we yeah. basically, figure out what the cadence is, the system does it, it moves them on to the next stage. And you can push things through your process like that. And you can give people back their time to do things that need a little more uh, thought. Yeah. So that's a good point. I wonder kind of what is the breakover point, Um, Jason? I mean, if it only takes about uh, of a process that is, you know, uh, a good, uh, a good candidate for RPA like you said, it doesn't have to be a 100% of the clicks or the, is, is it, is it six? Is that about it? Or, uh, I hate to give the old consulting answer, but I'll give it, you know, it, it does, it does depend, right? Cause ultimately okay. you probably want to remove that from the process altogether and build applications that don't need re, you know, re-automating of clicks, but it's so cheap and cost effective. And uh, so what you're finding with RPA is you can do these things way faster than you could rebuilding the application or the process, right? So at some point you'll want to do that because you don't want a whole bunch of RPA processes all over the place all the time. You want to make your systems more efficient. Um, but, but in the short term, very cost effective way of doing it. And it really just, it boils down to how simple the process is. If the process is very straightforward and simple and yeah, I would say better than 50% of the time it goes the same way every time, it's probably a good candidate for it. 
All right, interesting. So um, tell me a little bit, um, tell me about a, a particular um, situation, a, a particular success story that you've had helping a client. Is there one that sticks out? I mean, it would be great if it was an oil and gas, but sure. I'm kind of, kind of curious about something that uh, sticks in your mind. Yeah. So, so I would say, uh, let me think, let me, I'll do two, uh, oil and gas ones. And you know, like I said, there, there, uh, thank goodness there are a lot, but I, I'll stick with a couple oil and gas ones since this is an oil and gas podcast. So, uh, we have an oil and gas, uh, client in, in Houston. Um, and they, oh my goodness. Uh, it's been about four years now, but they finally decided to move most of their infrastructure to the cloud. So, on-premise is, you know, the opposite of the cloud. On-premise is when you have all your own servers um, and, and the cloud is you're using public cloud. There's a lot out there. You know, you said HPE, we have um, Amazon, there's Google, there's, there's, those are the three main players of, cl of cloud. And so uh, what they had to do to move an organization this size, I mean, we're talking tens of thousands of people and you think of the infrastructure needed to support, you know, 80,000 workers is pretty big. And so we set up a, pro a program management office um, for them that allowed us to take in all the requests that were needed to do this move um, because not every request is the same, right? So um, we had to evaluate each request, determine whether it fit into the ultimate goal of moving from on-prem to cloud. Then we had to determine what the budget may or may not look like for that. And when I mean budget, I mean the actual cost of humans and the cost of money and the cost of time. Um, and then that all had to, if approved, funnel up into a umbrella that managed all that. Because you only have so many time, so much time, so many resources, so much money to do this. So we set up this program office as toll gates for getting requests in and out. And then we worked with them on a technology standpoint. We had probably at one point close to 30 individuals from our company at their organization uh, doing things such as application rationalization. So if think of it, think of it like cleaning out your closet or moving your home, right? When you move your home, one of the best things that happens is you get to clean it out. So all that stuff you've been hoarding over time, uh, you get to throw out clothes, you get to throw out old furniture, things that aren't working, things that are stuck in drunk drawers. Same thing happens when you move from on-prem to cloud. You have all these applications that are out there that are old. Maybe one person's using them. Maybe no person's using them. You have all this data, all these files. You don't want to just move all that. You really need to figure out what it is and where it should go and how it should be used. So that process in itself was a year, two-year-long process to rationalize all the applications and the data. Wow. And then from there, you got to determine what you want to move it to. So they used a, 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 a combination hybrid. So they used a couple different public clouds. Uh, and then you got to get them working together, right? Uh, and, and then we went through that whole technical exercise of moving everything over uh, and making sure that things function because things function differently in the cloud than they do on-prem sometimes. So we had to do changes to applications and infrastructure and pieces of the network to make sure they work properly there. The whole thing was about a two and a half year uh, transformation and, and it went extremely well, very successful. Uh, so I'll stop it in case you have any questions there before I give the other oil and gas example I have. But that, that was a fun one. That was a good one. And, and, it, and like I said, uh, everybody was pretty happy after it was over. Well, wow, so that, that you used the term there at the end. And that's kind of what I was going to say is, you know, if, if you ever 
if I if you ever have an example of what a transformation that kind of sounds like, um, that could have been an example of of uh, you know a big change probably mm-hmm. in the way uh, people had access to and, and used their technology. It, it, it really was. That was a true kind of ground up digital transformation. Um, the other example I give you is an oil and gas company out of Birmingham, uh, and they, they owned and operated wells, many, 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 many wells. And uh, they were having a couple issues, and both were solved through technology. Not the ground up transformation, but for, for the users, these were probably more impactful than the, the latter example I gave. So what they were doing in the field when they were having to get information from these wells, because obviously they needed to be inspected and maintained all the time, they were pen and paper. They would go out in the field and they would get meter readings and uh, wellhead information and uh, you know production method, fluids, all those sort of things, write it down. Sometimes you could read the writing, sometimes you couldn't. Uh, sometimes they got all the information, sometimes they didn't. Bring it back, someone would have to key it in. That would introduce error into the process as well. So we created them a mobile app that, did, that, that allowed them through a tablet or phone to take those readings at the well um, uh, you know, through a form. Um, what that did was force them to get all the proper information. Uh, it also forced them to put the right things in the right place. So for example, if a a reading, we knew a reading was going to be somewhere between 0.5 and, and 5, well, the app, the app would force you to put that in there, where if you were doing it by hand, maybe all of a sudden that would end up as 500, right, before it got back to the person doing data entry. So you put some kind of data quality rules into the form. Absolutely. Error-proofed so, it. As yeah, it was being- because your data, you know, your data is probably your most important uh, asset of your company. If it's wrong, you make bad decisions. Uh, yeah. you, your people can't do their jobs. So doing things like this, anytime you can cut down on data errors, it certainly improves your business. Absolutely. Um, so that was built on Azure, which is a Microsoft cloud platform. We actually used a low, uh, low code, no code. So we used power, power apps to create that. And, and then we, we, uh, we started, we haven't finished. We, we started the process of moving that into our more custom mobile application. I don't want to get too much into the technical details. Those listeners out there that know technology, they'll, they'll kind of know what I'm talking about here, but, uh, that worked really well. And then the other thing we did for them is they had thousands of invoices per month come in, um, and hit their system for payments, you know, around well activities and, and all their different sites. Right. They had multiple locations. Uh, and, and it was a, it was a huge human effort to, to manually take all this stuff in. Uh, so we built an application on SharePoint that automated the workflow of these invoices and the approval of these invoices. So as, as they came in, you put them into SharePoint and then they used, uh, you know, power platforms to push them through the approval process right. as opposed to manually getting there. And, right. and it, it, it significantly saved them time uh, in processing all these payments that needed to go out. Yeah. Wow. And so let me let me just ask you, uh, sure. most of these uh, invoices and things that, that came in, are they coming in electronic or is there still a fair amount of paper that uh, oh. pushed around? It's crazy. It is crazy how much paper we see out there. Wow. <laughs> it's crazy how much paper we see out there. Uh, you would think it's all digital. You know, we live in this digital world. Everything's ones and zeros. That's definitely not the case. Wow. Um, lots of lots of paper. Uh, and even if they come in 
Um, you know, and even when they come in digital, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's structured data, right? So you receive a PDF with an invoice. Well, that's still used right. to be something someone would have to read and, and then do something with, right? So it's not that much different than paper, but with some of the cutting edge technologies that have been coming out lately, that's all about the change. It's very exciting what's on the forefront there. Okay. Well, speaking of that, because that was my next question, since you're out and about and helping folks do all kinds of uh, digital and using technology, uh, what's is there an exciting trend? Maybe this is it. What What's the kind of on the horizon that excites you? Well, Jason? I mean, Joanne, we luckily, the transition to this one was perfect because it is related. Uh, uh, you know, what we're seeing out there is something that, that I think is really cool because it hits the, the process side of me and the business owner side of me. It's something uh, that's that's called uh, content AI. Um, and, and, and the best example I can give of that right now is a Microsoft product called Microsoft Syntax. Um, and, and we are a Microsoft partner. We do a lot of stuff with Microsoft. We're actually a launch partner on this product. Uh, but we are, we, we are technology agnostic too. We, we can work with a lot of different, but, um, cause I'm about to, I'm about to wax very, uh, poetically about this product, but I do think it's incredible. Um, and, and so what this product does is it allows, uh, I'll, the best way, let me give you an example of what this product does. The best way to do it is give an example. Take invoices, for example, when they come in. If you had Microsoft Syntax implemented, you could have someone take these invoices in PDF, in Word, however they came in, in, in uh, uh, scanned uh, hard copy, and simply upload the invoices into a file on SharePoint. Syntax would then go, and because you've trained it, because it is AI, it would immediately know what kind of file it is. It would say, this is an invoice, because I know what an invoice looks like. This is not a NDA. This is not an MSA. It's an invoice. And because I know it's an invoice, I don't care what format it's in, I'm going to read this invoice, and I'm going to take out all the pieces of information and actually put it in some sort of managed data structure. So for example, it would go, this invoice is from XYZ company, and it pull out XYZ and it put it in a table for company name. And then it says the date of the invoice is this, and then it would put it under invoice date. Date is due is this, and it would put it under due date. It would then go and look for the terms. This has to be paid in 15 days. Payment terms, 15 days. Here's the amount. Here's the contact person. And without any human intervention, it will go through every uploaded document that's put in there and pull out whatever you tell it to. It can literally read it and learn to get better at it. And so it takes unstructured, unmanaged data in a random document of any format and puts it into structured data into SharePoint. And so you could think of the time saving that's done just, just through that alone, but that's only the first thing it does. Um, after that, uh, it, it can go and then search all of that data to find any document that you ever uploaded without any manual intervention. So if you say, I am looking for an invoice um, with this amount, uh, I, when it's due and I need to know the terms, it will, within milliseconds, go out and pull the exact PDF from the exact vendor you're looking for. Um, and 
you think about the <laughs> where this can go from there. If you have all the data, you move it from unstructured to structured, you can then start using things like Power Automate to say, all my invoices that are due on X date or within a certain amount of time or for this period, I can auto-approve and push through the process automatically without anyone touching all to, to kick out an ACH or to kick out a, a, a check. Um, so it's a, it's a game changer. And, and we have a little insight into what's coming in the next year on this product. We can't say because we're under NDA. It's, it's like, you know, 2090 type stuff. It is incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to even comprehend. And so I want to be sure, did you, that's called content AI or context AI? Content AI. Okay. And, and the product from Microsoft is uh, Microsoft Syntax. Okay. Um, but content AI is the ter- the industry term that all of these products are, are, well, are doing. Yeah, I mean, that's, that that's like, well, that's, that's amazing um, that we've gotten to that point uh, to be able to recognize, like you say, this unstructured data mm-hmm. and not only recognize it, but then say, let me go put it into a structure, right? Yeah. Uh, with the, um, in, the, in the right place. That's to, let me make it structured. That's, that's amazing. Um, and, that's how- and the key to that is no human intervention. All that's been done is an upload and everything else is, takes care of itself. It's, wow. it's really impressive. It sounds very, very impressive. Um, well, so Jason, um, thank you very much for, sure. for sharing this with us today. These were great examples. And um, I love, I, I, uh, I, you know, this is not my life, although I spend a fair amount of time talking to people on the Digital Doers podcast where technology is, is their life. But I loved hearing about the content AI and really appreciate you kind of um, letting us look behind the curtain a little bit on what's coming. Well, thank you for letting me be here. I've enjoyed it. Uh, I, I love your show and, and I, I, I'm really happy I got to be a part of it. Okay. Well, thank you. And I'm Jason. And please tell Sean I said hello. Um, I, I probably should have done a little uh, dis- disclosure, but a few years back I um, I did some uh, – I. I engaged with Sparkhound a little bit and uh, um, thoroughly enjoyed uh, Sean and Tommy Mann and a bunch of other folks that are there. So uh, it's nice, Jason, to add you to uh, that list of folks that uh, I have a great deal of respect for. Well, thank you. Thank you. And, and everybody remembers uh, Go Tigers this weekend. <laughs> go Tigers. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I need to let you go so you can get out and, and, and start uh, celebrating um, and so we're going to wrap this up and say thank you again to Jason Lassane with Sparkhound. Um, of course, want to say thank you to OGGN and all of the post-production folks and the producers like Audrey and Trevor that uh, make all of this happen. And then, of course, last but not least, I certainly want to say thank you again to HPE. And, um, you know, HPE, uh, they have the world's largest portfolio of on-premise cloud services and over 12 years of consumption-based experience. So go check out hpe.com. Also, if you would, in the show notes, um, there's all kinds of things you can find there, but there is a, um, a, a link to leave a review. If would you leave a review for the show and 
tell us what you liked and what you didn't like, because I want to hear all of it. Um, and also there's a link to a one question survey. And speaking of data, um, it would help us with a little bit of data if you'd go answer that one question survey. It takes about 10 seconds. And with that, we're going to say goodbye until next time. So, uh, so long. Come back next week for another venture into the real world of the best digital doers in the oil and gas industry. A production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.